You're tuning into this week's Revival Recap. Let's hear what's happening in the life of our church. Hey everyone, welcome to our Revival Recap for this week. Today we're chatting about highlights from our Saturday night meeting. I'm Clint Davis. I'm here with our executive, what do we call you? Like a senior leader. We've bounced around on titles. Yeah, associate pastor, associate leader, <laughs> janitor. You're trying to fit in the culture, <laughs> janitor. <laughs> Eddie Tate, of course it's Eddie Tate. And um, we had a great weekend. We had a great Saturday night. Um, not just you and me, but everybody at yeah, church. Yeah. Um, mate. I loved it. I'm I'm excited. You can hear I'm excited because I want to get to it, but I'm also slightly nervous because there's a lot to fit in to this <laughs> recording. <laughs> but let's start here. Where, what was Saturday like for you? What happened? Maybe stuff we didn't see, stuff we didn't experience. Uh, general vibe, what's, what's going down? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, one of the best things that I've seen in a lot of our services, but it was really significant this last week, is just the unity in our teams prior to the service starting, just during our prayer time, kind of all of us tapping into the same thing, having people throughout worship come and talk about the throne room. It was really evident to us that there was an unusual presence of God, not just Him encountering us, but us actually there with Him. And even just how Renee, myself, same verse, same, yeah, same how about that? That was it. awesome. Yeah. Happens a lot. It was more significant this week than normal. And then specifically, I would say that the ministry time, I feel like there was an, uh, an especially strong presence during the ministry time, uh, more directed than I have felt in a long time. The angelic was so open. I, I feel like I've carried something from even our Germany trip that a few of our leaders went on, but there was something about the atmosphere that was so open and directive to where God was laying things out and showing what was available for certain people in certain areas of their life. And um, just an amazing amount of testimonies. And that, that really seems significant. The message felt like it was pieces to help people get to a place, but it was really the, the time of prayer before with the team and what God was doing, but then the ministry time and how rich and powerful it was after that really kind of stood out for the weekend. Oh, that's awesome. Well, look, straight into the question. Yeah, Tell yeah. me about the angelic. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, for some people coming into this culture, it's a little bit different, a little bit out there sometimes. Um, and we kind of take stuff for granted from time to time. So you said it linked to Germany. And I know that there were testimonies of the angelic in Germany. Right. How, what's the dynamic of carrying something back from where you're ministering? Yeah, I, re- I feel like it's just that when you've encountered something in the Lord, you don't have to go backwards or try to find it again. Once you've encountered it, you've got a key to it. You don't ever have to search for it again. It's a place that you now have access to. And the angelic has been something that has been very active in my life for years. I've pursued it. So it's not just, oh, awesome, Eddie's got this special gift. I noticed something and I pursued it. I've spent 20 years pursuing to see the angelic host and to partner with what God is doing. So it's something that I've cultivated in my life as well as as just God has allowed me to step into that. But something in Germany was very significant and happened where the angelic was more prevalent than I've seen probably most times in my life. And we leaned into it and we grabbed a hold of it. And we actually said, we want to take this back home. We want to carry this 
back to our house because our house is our family and it shouldn't just be something we encounter when we visit a place it's something that we should be living in on a daily basis that's awesome i love it i want to get to the sermon but now you know we prayed just before we start this recording and we're like lord lead us where you want to lead us yep so here we go already on uh, Holy Spirit <laughs> Rabbit Trails. <laughs> but I knew it was going to be like this with you. you know? <laughs> of course it's going to be like this. Pursuing the angelic had nothing to do with your sermon. I have to know, what do you mean like you've pursued the angelic for years? And what does that look like in the sense of we don't worship angels? Right. But how do we, but they are here to serve us as messengers and supplies and all these things in angelology. What is that pursuit like? What are some of the practicalities? And how does it fit healthily? Like, yeah, you know? so I, I, I really feel like there's three areas over the years that I've kind of have stood out in my understanding of the angelic. And we, we could spend a, a week going into the scriptures and all of the different truths of it. But really the, the beginning, it was just reading about Moses and the burning bush that he was walking. He saw a burning bush, but it says he turned because it wasn't, it wasn't normal. And burning bushes in the desert are normal, but he recognized something of the spirit that was happening in a natural thing. And because he actually turned towards it and stepped towards it, God was allowed, or not God was allowed, but God was manifest and actually engaged with him. That was one of the first things that jumped out to me. It's like, okay, there are natural things that are happening that are actually supernatural. Am I aware of the supernatural take on it? Um, Another part would be Jacob's ladder. It talks about the angels are ascending and descending, which means they're actually here with us waiting to be sent to go up to heaven to come back with answers or provision. So that really opened my eyes to, I don't have to wait for heaven to send its angels to it. They're here with us. If they're ascending and descending, that means they're stationed here first. And then there also are the angels that have been sent from heaven with specific messages or provisions or breakthroughs that we see, you know, with Michael and the archangels and things. So there's different aspects of the angelic, but I think really it's just, I've spent my life trying to recognize what is supernaturally going on in a natural world. And if I know by the truth of the word that they're here waiting, then I want to be aware of them while they're here. So it's really leaning into those two truths probably the most and, and spending most of my life really pursuing that. I want to see, I want to interact, not because I worship them, but because they are here with us for a purpose. I don't want to miss out on something God's provided if it's plainly written that they're here for our helps. Yeah, I feel you. I read those accounts in scripture and I'm like, I want to see that. <laughs> I want to be a part of that. I want to be sitting by a river and ministered to by angels. Yes, know? yes. And I, I mean, don't see clearly like visible forms all the time. I believe that we have a misconception of what our senses are. We align our senses to our natural bodies, to what heavenly senses are. I believe that seeing comes in many forms. It's a feeling, it's an impression. It can be a spiritual sight and a natural sight. So, so much on that topic. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So Eddie, you preached a message titled, Knowing Your Season and Breaking Your Cycle, which we're not sure that's the right title for it. <laughs> I feel like it could have been titled um, Shotgun Eddie. <laughs> get hit where you get hit, you know? <laughs> yeah, I like to punch a few things. 
But it was awesome. I loved it, man. It, uh, what I loved about it the most is that it almost it draws us to robust faith. Yeah. There's a lot that you threw out there. A lot of your one-liners in particular are, you know, it's one of those, I think I preach in a similar way. It's like you sort of tap the sheep, a little bit of a hiding, you know, and everybody thanks you for it <laughs> until they get in the car and they're like, wait a minute, that actually hurt. That actually hurt. <laughs> so some of those are like that, but I love it. What does your heart behind this message in particular, why this message now? Um, I would say that this message is timely for a few reasons. One, I feel like Austin is being called to something significant, and I feel like Bethel Austin is strategically placed here for a time and a season. I believe that we're not supposed to be just a church like other churches. I believe we're supposed to become a people unlike other people. And we're supposed to be an example and an invitation to what's possible with God. And I believe that this city is ripe for that. Um, it is one of the most spiritual cities I've ever known. And it's people are seeking truth. And if we show them the truth, they'll respond. I also have personally, as I said on Saturday, been going through a process the last seven weeks and God has rewired me from the inside several times. And I think that knowing where I thought I was with my relationship with God and then realizing how much more of him was available as I let him that much closer, it felt like this is a now word because we're being positioned to a time and a place and if I myself am going through something so deep and so significant, I want to make sure everyone has the opportunity to, number one, see that I'm going through a season myself, but two, invite them into that season as well, because it's an invitation. So, Yeah, that is, that's good. I love it. Let me throw a couple of your one-liners back at you. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's see. Let's, I'll throw you like two or three, and then I'll, I'll let you explain yourself. All right. <laughs> All right. The father calls his kids into their destiny. Okay, I love that. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's one of the easier ones for us to get. The only thing God has ever wanted from each of us is all of us. Oh, oh not challenging at all. <laughs> not challenging at all. No, not a bit. Yeah, okay. And then you ask this question, is my life reflecting what he died for? Yeah. And you said it can't be something out of performance. It's not doing but being and you drew an analogy of the difference between getting a word from the preacher on the pulpit and being in the word yourself. There's something about this merge of the spiritual and the scriptural. Right, right. Why don't you expand that a little bit? So, I mean, hitting the first two are pretty easy. You know, a father sees, you know, the way a father should see this child is the potential that's inside of him. Mm. Because I'm never going to look at my child as an infant and say, why aren't you walking? Why aren't you riding a bike? Why don't you have a job? Why aren't you paying your bills? I need to see who they're called to be and I need to help grow them into that place. So I'm never going to judge a person where they're at. I'm going to see them where they're at, love them where they're at, but I also love them enough to not let them stay there. So I want to see them grow into what I can see for them. And a father usually has vision past what a person can see in themselves. Yeah, that's so, so good. Um, yeah, the the merging of spirit <laughs> and word. So getting words from the preacher shouldn't be your priority. Yeah. It should be being in the word yourself. Yeah, I you know it, it was a it was a hard truth I've came I've come to through the years that if I'm feeding off of somebody else's revelation, I'm actually feeding off of them, not God. Um, I don't want 
to only understand God because someone had a great insight or revelation. I mean, we've got people over the, you know, over the centuries that have had revelation and wisdom. I mean, I get it, you get it. We all have those moments of revelation and it should be shared and it should be something that we can draw from. But the reality is, is I don't want to have a relationship with my wife through someone else. I want to have a relationship with my wife. Yeah. So the same as marriage, it's like my intimacy with my wife should never have a person in between us. It should actually be with her. Now, I, I used to teach on my grandfather. My grandfather was an amazing man, colonel in the army, owned some caverns. And I used to do this whole thing where I would tell them all of these things, show them pictures. He had an autobiography. And then I'd ask people, how many of you know or think you know my grandfather and know something about him? A lot of people raised their hand. How many of you have ever met him? Nobody has the experience I had with him because I had relationship with my grandfather. They know facts. They can hear my emotions towards him, but they don't know him the way I did. And I never want anyone to lose out on that opportunity to really know God, know the author of the word, know the spirit himself through someone else. It has to be a personal relationship. Otherwise, you get a watered down opinionated version of what God wants to do in your life. That's so true. It's so good. And it's amazing because we live in a world that is so full of Christian resource. Yes. So full. I mean, you're listening to a recording right now of us speaking right. about a sermon, you know, and about resource. Think about all the Christian books we read, all of the Christian music we listen to, mm-hmm. all the sermons we listen to, TV, radio, whatever, all that stuff. And then we've got to weigh that up to our actual own time in the scriptures, just the scriptures. Because my fear is that we have a lot of believers that read books about the book. Right. Or listen to testimonies about their God. But where is the point where it's your own? Yeah. And I love saying controversial statements sometimes, not for the purpose of trying to make people confused or upset, but to create a question. I love the one-line type of speaking because... It creates a thought, and I don't want people to have to try to ask 20 people to figure out the answer. Go find the answer yourself. I want to stir up the hunger for people to actually know truth. And if I can create a question with a comment, then it hopefully will drive them to the truth, which is the Word of God. Well, how about this one? All right. You said this. You said, is the measure of God my feelings? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I just... If we rely on our senses to dictate how much of God is available, then we're going to be lacking our entire lives because we are limited. I mean, we are created. He is creation. He is everything. He is the creator. He's the one that made all things. And when we limit our, our senses, what I can tangibly feel with my, my fingers or my body, what I can hear with my ears, what I can see with my eyes. When I limit God to those things, I've actually said he can never be more than I can experience, which means we have the capacity to be fully God in that way. And that's not true. Like heaven is eternal and the measure of God that's available is infinite. There will never be something of God that we can't attain more of. But when I limit it to who I am and my feelings and my experiences, I've actually said, God, I am the limit of you. And I never want to do that. 
That's so good. Let's let's stay on feelings for a little bit and expressions in particular. Mm-hmm. So you you asked us a question that we responded to um, about the discomfort with manifestations and if anybody's uncomfortable with manifestations. And we are in a culture that's supernatural, <laughs> <laughs> you know, super supernatural. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so we see manifestations then. And I, I mean, I'm honest as well, like, Rochelle and I haven't experienced a lot of the manifestations that are happening in Bethel, but we have others. Uh, most of the time, I experience manifestations of God in just peaceful places or feeling Him washing over me. There's, it's tough because when we're in a, such a strong culture of manifestation, is there a tendency to desire the manifestation in an unhealthy way? And is there an, sometimes a immaturity of even manifesting when it's not really God, it's sometimes ourselves. We, we, I don't know. It's all a mess. But how does, in my mind, I'd like you to clear it up for me. Right. Where does that all land? How do we deal? How do we handle that healthily? Yeah, and it's such a good question. It's such a big topic, you know. And my question may have been a little skewed because it's maybe not as much how much, how uncomfortable are people, but it uh, uncomfort discomfort is okay. Judgment is not. So when we begin to judge people because of the manifestations, that's when it becomes sinful or something that we need to really stay away from. Discomfort is probably a part of our normal Christian walk, if we're honest, because if we're not a little uncomfortable, we're probably not stretching ourselves towards more of who he is. But when people respond to the Holy Spirit, I, I've really had to check my own heart because I'm uncomfortable with it even now sometimes, that I'm not going to judge whether they're actually receiving or not, or if it's really God or not, because I don't know. What I have to do is determine, okay, is what they're doing hurting themselves or me or other people? And if it is, then it's a pastoring opportunity. If it's they're encountering something, I, I don't want to be too quick to judge. It's kind of like a child. A lot of times children were experiencing, well, when they experience something, they over-exaggerate things a lot in the beginning because that's their way of processing the experience. And that's the same thing with manifestation. Sometimes people will maybe allow themselves to extra manifest, if we could say it that way, because that's how they're learning the encounter. But if it's about the encounter, then they've missed the point because we're supposed to have an encounter with someone, not focus on just the encounter. And I even relate that sometimes to kind of that lustful lustful spirit. Um, Love is having intimacy with a bride. Lust is having an encounter with someone. And it's the same thing in the manifestations. And I would also say that when manifestations are happening, is it bearing fruit? And if you're truly being touched by God, something should be changing. Something should be shifting. So there should be some sort of change to who the person is in that encounter. It doesn't have to be huge. I, I, early on, I started getting kind of this almost twitching feeling sometimes in the presence. And I remember praying, God, let me grow up out of this thing because it feels really weird. <laughs> right. But I actually have received the thing that I'm not going to try to stop God from touching me a certain way. And I'm not going to try to seek God to touch me a certain way. And the reality is that the God of earthquakes, the God of thunder and lightning is also the God of peace in the still small voice. Manifestations should be an inside thing, not an outside thing. Mm. So, Wow. I think, and I think I almost want to just let that simmer a little bit because I think that's so good in our culture 
for people to be able, be able to absorb that, to be free to experience those manifestations of God, but also free not to when the emphasis is sometimes in our own minds on the outward expression. Right. And so, yeah, to set that as a plumb line, that it's the inward, what work is God doing inwardly? And I think also one of the things that's helped me so much is if you see somebody manifesting and you feel yourself slipping into judgment of that, go ask the person after the fact. I mean, don't interrupt them, but ask them or ask them next week or send them a, a text or a, a message. I mean, ask them. Right. And the way they clear that up for you, you'd probably be quite amazed yeah. at how God's moved. And if you bless a person for their encounter, when you see something and it's offensive and they're, you know, screaming and running around the room, it's like, God, thank you for what you're doing in their life. Bless them in this moment. Because whatever you bless is going to remain blessed. And the reality is, is if it's not God, that blessing really hasn't attached itself to anything because God wasn't there in the first place. But if it is God, you've now actually agreed with God in that. And you've stepped into a place of receiving more from God because you're in agreement with him. Wow. So good. That's so good. All right, we're going to change gears a little bit because we've just got two minor topics to hit. <laughs> <laughs> Your sermon. And we've got 10 minutes. You ever heard a preacher deal with the issue of sin in 10 minutes or seasons in 10 minutes? Oh, man. Or together? <laughs> All right, you spoke about this, and I think it needs just a little bit of clarity. And um, I think you've got it, and that's why I want to ask you about it. You said seasons are not cyclical. They're progressive. That seed bears harvest. But the first thing that came to my mind is all the sermons I've heard preached about seasons being cyclical and usually in relation to Israel going around the mountain mm-hmm. for 40 years in the desert. And so what's the difference? Are we at loggerheads with these two areas of thought or did I miss something? No, and I, I think that all truths of the, of the word are probably you're going to find tension between two sides of the same truth. I, I purposely hit that idea that Seasons are not cyclical because of the comment that people say, I'm starting over. They feel like they're doing something again and that it's a waste. And the reality is is that you don't start over from scratch. You start over from experience. So even with Israel, when they did circle the mountain, they, they circled with the experience, the tools, and the understanding that they had the first time they went around. So it's always a progression of where you've been should equip you for where you're going. And so you're never starting with the exact same thing in a new season. And we think of seasons as cyclical because of our four seasons. You think of, you know, summer, winter, and, you know, oh, next year there's going to be another summer, and next year it's going to be another. But it's a new season. It's, it's labeled the same because it, it carries the same attributes to it, but it actually is a new season. And the idea that we, the sowing seed You know, the one part I didn't say, which I wish I had, is that when you sow a seed, it's going to either die or bear something. You don't pull that seed out of the ground and re-sow it. You actually either sow seed from your harvest, which is progression, or you sow new seed because the seed died, and usually that means you have to change something with the ground or the way you're sowing. So you're always sowing something new. So you're never going to revisit the same thing you may encounter similar circumstances, but you have experience and tools that you didn't have at first. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. Because we do, I think we do get wrapped in that frustration sometimes. Uh-huh. 
and we a lot i know i do it i a lot my difficulties now on the grid of a difficulty that was before and all of a sudden my emotions and feelings respond the same way right and so i'm operating out of my emotions and my feelings according to the struggle we had before and not out of my spiritual growth which should form my perspective to deal with it in a more mature manner Right. And I, I, I feel like sometimes our frustrations of revisiting an old thing is less about the frustration and more about the, hey, are you recognizing you've been here? Grow from that place instead of revisiting it. Right. That's good. That's good. You said, um, now we're changing gears again. Okay. All right. We're going to talk about the sin issue because you brought that up. And... Um, I'm going to back it up just a little bit because I want to give context to it. The context you mentioned was um, the Garden of Eden, uh-huh. essentially. You said our purpose is to be with God. And you said when you decide to detect, dictate what is right and wrong, you've entered back into the garden. And you're speaking in the context of um, the knowledge right. of good and evil. Right. Um, so maybe we should start there. What is this... Um, thing that we miss a lot to our thinking or our walk of drawing lines between being in the garden and i'm assuming that's not necessarily adam adam and eve but pre-salvation in a sense is that right and then where we are now clear that up for me come well, on and and you're <laughs> tapping into my idea that i love to throw things like that out so people will read their word and you know the the idea that when we were in perfect relationship with God, walking with God, the way we were designed and created, it was prior to wanting the knowledge of good and evil. And it was the knowledge of something that we weren't necessarily in need of that created separation and created separation on our side. Wait a minute. That's huge. The knowledge of something that we weren't necessarily in need of I mean, take that out of the garden, out of the knowledge of good and evil. I have that in my life daily. Mm-hmm. I want the knowledge of things that I don't necessarily have need of. Right. So does it bear fruit? Is it something that actually is going to create something inside of us? Or is it something that's going to distract us and possibly take us away from where we're supposed to be? Because if it's something we don't need, if it's knowledge of something that we don't have need of, why are we pursuing it? And I, I deal with this myself. I'm not saying that this is just an easy thing people should walk away from. It's, it's, it's simple. It's not easy. Um, that knowledge of things that we do not have need of can take us off of the course that we're supposed to be on. And it's a distraction. And it actually can create something in us which can cause us to doubt or question that what we're supposed to be on in the first place. Their relationship with the perfect God, perfect relationship in the Garden of Eden. Once they desired something that they didn't need and they attained it, all of a sudden they felt separated and had to hide. They got off path and became something outside of how they were designed and created, which is how all of this started. Well, what's interesting about this is it's slightly different to what you'll generally hear preached because when you hear that concept preached, it's preached from the standpoint of identity, who you are in Christ now, and that you haven't allotted that identity that has changed. But what, you, what I'm hearing you say is you're dealing more with the practicality of it, is do we actually allot that identity to our actions? Right, right. And, and 
Jesus is perfect theology. He's the perfect example, and he restored us to a place of relationship. But when we allow ourselves to, again, seek things that aren't, and, and that's where I want people to really read and seek truth out themselves, I'm not saying that we've forsaken what he did. You can't do that. We can, we're not powerful enough to erase what he's done. But we can actually get ourselves off of a place of understanding and accepting and living out the fullness of what he's done in our lives. And you said we have to start believing that we are sinless. And you cannot look at yourself as sinful. I love how you summed up. You said temptation from the enemy is an offer to downgrade your life. I love that. But we have to start believing that we are sinless and you cannot look at yourself as sinful. You'd, you'd be at loggerheads with a lot of sermons out there that, oh, yeah. that preach condemnation around at sin and that point. Of course. I mean, the Bible's clear. You are no longer sinners. You are saints. How you perceive yourself is how you're going to walk your life out. When, when Jesus looks at us, when God looks at us, he does not see a sinner because he has created us in a new... If you really believe that you are a new creation, you went from being sinful to sinless. We may act out and do sinful things, but we are not sinful by nature or creation. We can no longer look at ourselves that way. And it's just the, it's the plain truth. And I think sometimes... We, we think about the actions dictate the identity, and that's not true. Our identity is sealed by Him. Our actions dictate how we're living our identity out. Are we doing it in honor and authority and purpose and direction with all of the blessings that come from Him? Yes or no, that depends on your actions. But the identity of who you are is perfect and pure regardless of what you do. Yeah, that's so good. It's drawing the line between sin nature, which we carried pre-salvation, pre-the cross, mm -hmm. and sin, which in the word is a different word. I mean, the word sin is used multiple times in the Bible. You have to go back to the original text right. to see if it's sin or sins. Sin referring to the sin nature, but sins missing the mark. They're the actions. They're and the so we things that the mark, you yeah. do that are outside of the, the nature. Man, yep. I, I love how you summed that up. That's, so you can do it in less than 10 minutes. You can sum sin up in less than 10 minutes. Yeah, but people need to go. People, people should be reading because even those, even what we've said will cause more questions. Yeah, for sure. And that's what I love. And you said it a few times, and that's exactly how I felt about it. Is I love, I love sermons like this that cause you to feel just a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Because the whole point of this is not that you should be coming to church and getting some pretty packaged sermon, right? right. You should be owning your own faith, going home, doing the work. Spending time in the Word and with God, finding yeah. truth. And actually, when we come to church, we should be bringing something with us, right? Not just coming to... Yeah. should probably leave that there. Oh, boy. <laughs> that, that's a whole other sermon right there. You, uh, you left us with this big question on Saturday. Are you willing to say yes to giving everything up for all of Him? So yeah. that's not easy. That's a tough one. It's not easy, and, and the reality is, is it's easy to say with my mouth yes. It's, it's terrifying to say yes with everything that I am. And I, I never want people to say yes because it's the right answer. I want them to say yes because they truly want that out of their lives. And it will cost something. The reward is always going to be greater than the cost, but there is a cost. And I want my life to reflect what he gave 
and it has to be everything. There, there can be nothing in my life that I with, I'm willing to withhold from him or that I'm willing to hold in place of him. So. And when we speak about what he gave, we always go to the cross, but we forget that he was the word before he was flesh. Yes. He gave up total deity to come in humankind and even to the point that now Jesus is still a physical resurrected body. Yes. In heaven. I mean, that's a big cost. It's a big cost. It's a big cost. It's, it's everything. And that's, that's that statement. God doesn't just want some of us. He wants all of us. Yeah. Man, so good. So good. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned something earlier that after the fact you wish that you hit something. Is there anything else after the fact, after you preached? Maybe a question somebody asked you or something on your drive home that you thought, man, I could have, could have changed that or... Or just today. If not, that's that's cool. I think we've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> I no, I I don't think so. I mean, my heart is that people are challenged, inspired, and I want people to walk out of church with a question, because I want them to feel the need to go find an answer, and I want few people to feel an invitation to just know him more. Um, I'm excited for the day that we don't have to worry about timelines and schedules, that yeah. we don't think about what time is it. We just think about uh, there's more. There's more. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, ask everybody this when we do the revival recap. What was the big idea? What's the single? If people have listened to this and there's a lot here and people pick up different things that spark them, but what's the single big idea on your heart that you wanted people to grab? this week he's worth it and it's going to require everything yep that would really be the heart i mean all of the other points were really things that we face in the midst of that reality that he's worth it and it's going to require everything so give um give me a starting point practicality if i what is it i know there's a lot of practicalities we've spoken oh. about today and they're all good what's the single practicality that i could not go from week to week just hear sermon sermon and forget it in between but actually take it now and apply just a single thing to my life giving him more time like being in the word i, I think all of us can be in the word more but being in the word and giving him more time talking to him it's not a book to be read for information it's a invitation for a relationship so Give more time to him, and you'll begin to have all of these answers. For all the questions that we have, the answers will be available as we give him more time. Mm, it's so good, man. It is so good. Hey, thanks for joining us for the Revival Recap. Remember, you can get more out of our journey together at BethelATX.com or go ahead and chat to one of our Connect coaches at a Saturday meeting. They love chatting. They're very chatty. <laughs> Till next time, from me, Clint Davis. See you. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot, guys. Bless you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Revival Recap. For more of our podcasts and other resources, visit BethelATX.com.